Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of the Event Tech Talk Show. Um, the next Event Tech Live we are planning will take place on June the 8th of 9, 2021, with a focused event on the North America market. So if you want to find more information about that event, if you're interested in delving deeper into the big wide world of event tech, visit eventtechlive.com. And if you missed episode two, where I discussed the case for an all-in-one um, versus dedicated focus solutions with Tim Group of Grip, who actually just raised, I think it was $13 million to take their platform and their customer events to the next level. You can watch that recording now on our YouTube channel, um, Event Tech Live. And you can also listen to the audio version as a podcast on all the major platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. Just visit eventtechtalks.com and you'll see all the content there as well. A quick thank you to our uh, sponsor, Eventscase, who you've just seen their advert, who is Europe's largest provider of event management software. If you're in the market for a virtual or hybrid uh, solution, please do go check them out. They have a great system at eventscase.com. Now, today, my guests are Marco Giberti and Denzel Ranking. Marco and Denzel will be talking to me about their new book, Reinventing Live, The Always-On Future of Events. And I think it's very poignant as we uh, now are still living in this virtual world. They're going to be sharing some of their key thoughts on the interviews they conducted with senior executives, entrepreneurs, and investors all around the globe on event tech and live events. We'll also discuss how events have become the catalyst for building communities and nurturing customer relationships all year round and with the use of event technology very much at its core. Now, please feel free to interact with us, ask questions. We'll bring those, or I will bring those, should I say, on screen and put them to Marco and Denzel. And any questions that we don't get to, we'll try and answer them on Twitter using the hashtag EventTechTalks. So without further ado, please welcome Denzel and Marco. Hi, guys. Welcome to the uh, live podcast. Hi there. Hello. How are you both? Excellent. Excellent. Great, thank you. Yeah. So, how's the book launch officially going? The feedback been good. I've I've seen really good comments online. I'm I'm still waiting for my copy to be delivered. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I, I everybody else is raving about it by the looks of things. I I think that is going great actually. Uh, and if you're waiting for your copy, you're not the only one because it was sold out. Uh, at least here in US, in Amazon, it was a nice surprise, which means it seems that the publisher is a little bit late with some print copies. But um, initial reaction, you know, way better than expected. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I've seen great comments on social media. I posted about it in one of our groups on LinkedIn, and and there was a bunch of people there that had kind of raced to. To, put, uh, to purchase their own copy. I guess, where did the idea come from for the book then? You know, it, it seemed like, was it was it kind of the idea at the beginning of the pandemic? Because it seemed very poignant that it was at that time and it was, you know, questions and answers and then published. Or was this something you guys were already working on way, way before that? Well, I guess I can tell you a little bit about how that happened. So um, for those of you who know Marco really well, you, you can just that background means he's in Colorado. So none of us are envious. I'll make that really clear. Um, but we're, we're pretty lucky. We found time over the past few years to go skiing each year. Um, and I was already in, in Colorado. So I met up with Marco. And it was remarkable 24 hours um, because uh, 
we had to end because of all the COVID stuff and flights were closing and I just had to get on a plane and get back to the UK. But in that 24 hours, we did our usual thing about talking about everything that's going on in the events world. And we both looked each other in the eye and said, look, things have got to change. We know that the events industry is successful, but we also know it's got to change for the future. And we didn't, we knew that some kind of pandemic was coming. We didn't quite know what it would be. And Marco said, look, he'd written a book before with his, his friend and co-investor, Jay Weintraub. I've actually written five books on the topic of buying companies before. And I thought, I'm never going to write another one because it's just such hard work. <laughs> it's crazy, but I want to write another book. And I said, you're mad. But then we just we just have to do it together. Um, and so that's where the idea was, was born. Uh, it was just as the pandemic was beginning, but we couldn't you know, really predict the damage of the pandemic at the time. Yeah, what, what, what Denzel forgot is to tell that both of our wives call at the same time, basically, almost exactly, saying, what the hell are you doing in Colorado? Come back home. Uh, and we said, you know what? This must be pretty serious. Uh, something, something big is happening here. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> at exactly the same time. Like, <laughs> yeah. I guess just perfect timing then, right? You know, you, you you saw things were changing way ahead of the game, then the pandemic came along and, and really did turn the industry upside down. What was the what was the process then of, of getting for the content for the book? Because I know you you kind of reached out to me as well and jumped on a Zoom with me and threw a load of questions at me that I, I'll be honest with you, I can't remember one of them now. It, it seems such like such a long time ago. Did you really want to go out to industry specialists? Or like, how did you approach the actual content of the book? Because I've sat there in front of a blank page before thinking, I'm going to write something. And, you know, as the editor, I know how hard it is to, to, to put things down on paper and get some real good quality content. So like, what was the approach behind the book? I, I, I'll tell you the way that we, we thought about this was pretty simple. We had our own ideas um, about how our industry should change for mm. quite a long time. And we saw COVID as a clear accelerator on potential change and, and different customer mindset. And, and we said, what if we talk with smart guys around our industry, like you and others? And we said, what do you think? Um, is this finally going to change? how, when, which are the challenges and opportunities. And we create a short list of people from um, event owners and operators, some of the big guys like the Informa or Reed of this world, mm -hmm. uh, some venues, some private equity investors, smart entrepreneurs, tech founders, tech investors. We create that short list and spend time with them, picking their brain and having honest conversations. And, and of course, we had our own ideas and we tried to consolidate it on a simple book. Um, this is not a geeky or tech book. Uh, the previous one that I did with Jay was a little bit more tech focused. This is about, of course, technology and innovation, but also about strategy. And, and I think mm -hmm. that the main question that we're asking ourselves and, and, and the readers, because we want to open a conversation is, is this finally the time where our industry is going to change and it's going to change dramatically? And if so, if you're a stakeholder in this industry, how can you capitalize the potential opportunity that change will bring into our industry? So really sparking more conversation with event owners and, and business owners of like that, that 
physical, I mean, if you look at events, they've not really changed, have they, on the face of things since the first event that ever kind of went ahead. There's a really famous photo of the first exhibition out there, isn't there? And if you if you kind of look at that compared to the modern day exhibition, not a huge amount's changed. Maybe the venue. Um, oh, the, thing changed, the thing that's changed is that everyone has a cell phone in their pocket. Very and simple. you can't see it in the photo, but that has changed. And then people, what's going on in people's heads has changed as well. So I quite often would put up that a photograph like that and say, what's changed? And it's really interesting when people say nothing's changed and other people say, well, actually, they all think differently or they're seeing things differently. If I could go back just to the other point about how we wrote the book, if you don't mind, we also, we decided to put in a set of case studies. Um, because our, our thinking is there are smart people out there who've also got a lot of views and we want to <laughs> piggyback off those because we don't know everything. And we also said, well, can we find some case studies? And we had a long list of those and then we researched them and we put quite a few in the book. And there are some really interesting learnings. Uh, so there are some of the obvious ones are what UBM did with Alibaba, which is uh, combining essentially a platform with an event and that's around the central thesis of the book which is online to offline to online and then we we had another which is from publishing so read business information decided to self-disrupt and attack itself with a digital platform set up in a separate unit and say okay guys you go kill the traditional guys now we're not saying that's what should happen but we it actually gives them interesting learning and then we have another one with a guy, I know, Marshall, I think you really enjoyed that one with um, Craig Fuller of Freightwave, mm -hmm. who nothing about events. Okay. Uh, he did a customer event business, pandemic came, and he just said, well, what am I going to do? And he said, oh, well, this is obviously a TV show. And, and essentially launched a TV show with TV mindset. And he knew nothing about events. But he knocked the ball out of the park, and I think his revenues were 90% of the uh, physical revenue. So he had a 90% conversion and the guy was brand new to events. So there's a, there's a bunch of them, but we hope that they will just get people thinking and, and inspired. Well, I'd love to dig into a little bit more of that because I think what for me, the, the, the last 12 months, the last year of very limited events happening all around the world has actually presented as, as, as an industry as an opportunity is to innovate, to try new approaches, to try new things, because ultimately, in inverted commas, there's not a great deal to lose. Nothing can be, the physical event can't be affected by doing something over here or changing the way that we've done. So we've been allowed as an industry to, to kind of disrupt, try new avenues, put business centers in place that goes, right, you kill the old ways, do new things. And and coming from it, from that gentleman's point of view there of, of like, it's a TV show. Do you think that it's presented an opportunity for, other business types to get in on our market to to ultimately bring events as a product to their audiences and their niche in new innovative ways was that kind of a theme that kind of read th came through the book as well uh yes yes and yes um i know that a big part of your audience are software guys and and as good software guys they should think about ui and ux all the time mm -hmm. um user interface, user experience. As an event organizer, the UI UX was pretty much depressing for decades. It was, yeah. as you said, pretty similar. We believe that 
the last 12, 18 months and probably the next six or 12 months are gonna allow us to reinvent the UI UX for live events. And, and hopefully that's a once in a life opportunity to think out of the box and say, okay, how can I recreate this value proposition for my buyer sellers if you're B2B or entertainment consumers if you're B2C on a different way. And I keep using lately this example about reading a magazine on a print magazine if you're old enough to remember that, and reading a magazine on an iPad. The content's still there, but your UI UX is dramatically different. Now, challenging your event tech guys and challenging the event organizers, can we rethink the whole experience uh, as dramatic as that during the next five or 10 years? I think that we probably can, and that's a challenge and opportunity here. So other than the UX thing, is that is also for me, down to personal preference you know some people like iphone some people like android some people like red car some people like silver all that kind of, you know i like a tesla somebody else likes a bmw so there's, there's an element of personal preference when it comes to ux but if you were to throw and, and maybe this came through the, the the book as well just on that what what's some of the things that you two guys think of missing from the platforms out there at the moment, because you've both experienced a number of events, I've no doubt. And Marco, you're invested in some of those guys as well. But what what's missing? What what did some of these technology providers need to bring to the table to help the event organizers up the experience and change the game there? Well, I'm not going to answer that in a technology way up front. Maybe uh, Marco will, or uh, let's see. I'm going to answer it in a customer success way. Okay, uh, and I think there are, there are a lot of good platforms out there, and I'm sure there's some clunkiness and some bugs and so on which can be fixed. I, I think a really big part of the challenge is in customer success, and that is helping your customers. And you've got three customers here, by the way. Uh, if you're an event tech company, you, you've got an organizer, you've got an attendee, and, and you've got an exhibitor. So you've yeah. got three customer sets to worry about. And they've all got to be happy because if any one of those is unhappy, that's not easy. So unfortunately, from an event technology point of view, you've got to have three customer success approaches, and three sets of people you're working with. And the observation I have, and, and I think we bring this out in the book, is that there's been insufficient investment in customer success. And, and that means people holding hands, whether it's on uh, chat or phone calls or whatever it is, to actually make sure that the software is being used, people are uploading content or, or whatever. Mm. It means that although everyone, I think, wants to have the perfect SaaS platform with a 90% gross margin and you just make it once and sell it a gazillion times, I, I think in events, at least in the first instance, there's going to be quite a lot of debugging and sorting out the UX UI UX because no one really quite knows where they're going to land, but I think the handholding is going to be a differentiator. I, I couldn't agree more, Denzel. And, and one of the big things that I've been presenting myself about is that SaaS for me in our sector should me, mean software and a service. I know that's not what it traditionally means. It's software as a service. And, and as you rightly pointed out, a, a, a technology founder's vision is to sell as many of those licenses or, or services as possible because that scale and, and that means happy investors and happy wives and all, or husbands and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but ultimately, our industry is 
inherently service-led, isn't it? All the way, all the way through. And ultimately, our customers and our attendees go away feeling something about our event. Now these technology providers play a role in that. We all know the, I mean, even let's be honest, you know, Marco, you had trouble jumping onto StreamYard. The link that I sent you wasn't quite working. And, and Denzel, you had something that popped up and you weren't quite sure, but we got there. We all got there in the end, but this is on a very minute scale. So all of that kind of got fixed. If you scale that to thousands upon thousands of people, you can, it, it's very hard for everybody to have a great experience. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, if, 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 the platforms can help us as the organizers provide a better experience to the attendees and the exhibitors and the sponsors in that environment, then everybody walks away a lot happier. Yeah. Let, let, me, let me elaborate on, on what Denzel just said, because it, it's, a, it's a very complicated industry with so many different stakeholders that tech should connect all those stakeholders, events, visitors, sponsors, exhibitors, speakers, venues, organizers, and connect all those stakeholders in a way that is simple. And, and it's easy to say, it's extremely difficult to execute. If you analyze event tech, and you know this, Adam, extremely well, you have every single technology for every single problem as an organizer, it's, it should be there. It shouldn't be crazy to identify technology solutions for event organizers. There are more than 5,000 event tech startups, which is an a stupid amount for an industry like ours, which means the problem is not the technology. The technology should be there. The problem is the communication between the technology and all these stakeholders in order to create a value proposition that really makes sense for everyone to invest the time and resources to engage with technology. And that was, and still is, a massive problem because organizers keep complaining about you guys, event tech, the geeks of this world. They don't get it. The geeks keep complaining about the organizers, they're all school, they don't get it. And yeah. there are some clear truth on both sides. But if we don't have an honest and open conversation about integration and engagement and investment and support, this is going to take forever. Now, I saw in 12 months more progress than in 25 years that I'm around the industry. And, and that's why two you know, old guys like Denzel and me said, you know what? There is something changing here because we're watching this movie for 30 years. Mm. And what we saw on the last part of the movie, the last 12 months, it's different. Which means I think that that's the clear opportunity here. But also, I was talking on, on, on a different conversation earlier today. It's a massive challenge because there are millions of people with skills for our industry that they're no longer valid. And yeah. that's sad and tragic. But it's true, which means our wake-up call with the book as well is you need to, what I, I keep saying, unlearn and learn again. You, you really need to educate yourself if you want to survive in this industry with a new set of skills. And that is mandatory and critical and urgent like never before. Where, where do you, so are you saying that we can reskill within the industry or do you think we'll have an influx of talent from outside of the events industry, maybe more customer service led, maybe more technically led? That will bridge that gap. Is that is that where you see things going? Hopefully, outside? hopefully both. Hopefully yeah. both. Hopefully, some people will reinvent themselves and and learn again and survive. And hopefully, we're going to have fresh talent jumping into our industry with the the community engagement mindset with digital skills. That's my two cents on that one. Denzel? 
Yeah, yeah I, I absolutely agree. It's going to be very hard for some people on the organizing side who are used to the old world and they, they will struggle. And I know mm. this pandemic has made quite a few people unemployed. It's, it's challenging. And I think really to be in the event industry of the future, you have to be uh, really someone who thinks about technology and thinks about customers. And there's going to be a, a whole mindset change. I was speaking to one of the leaders of one of the big groups the other day who just picked up on something I've been talking about for four or five years, and that is the event director um, should no longer really be considered an event director. That needs to be a brand manager and someone who knows how to marshal different resources, someone who thinks from a brand management point of view, brings in the tools, including technology, data analysis, and so on. And just the, the old skills which were around logistics and organization and selling, they're still there, but they are less important than a whole set of new skills. I, I, I think that's got to be true, especially if now we're suggesting that we can be connected up with our audience. And I'm very careful not to jump straight into the word community, but with, with our audience that we've built up around our event with our customers, those relationships, because that we're not just touching base with them or providing them one element of a moment in time, are we? There's there's now a massive opportunity through digitization to continually support through different events or different event types through the year, that audience in to reach their customer or to engage with that content that our niche is direct to that, et cetera. So it's totally different than, than I guess, the, the traditional um, event director, it's right, yeah. Uh, and, and if you see how the industry was running before COVID, um, and Denzel knows these numbers way better than me based on his reports, but this is a trade shows is a very profitable industry. If you're mm. doing well, uh, you will be running 60% contribution margins, 30% plus EBITDA margins and growing double digit, which means yeah. that was, if you're a private equity owned company or a public company, you wanna be hitting those numbers. And I was part of Read for 12 years, which means I remember those budget meetings extremely well. And there is a playbook, and the playbook works. Now, if you analyze software companies, you're going to see 95% contribution margins, and you're going to see you know, amazing scalable SaaS growth. And, and you're going to see how the market is rewarding trade show companies or events companies and software companies. And some smart people in the events industry are thinking, I need to change my revenue model sooner than later and my P&L profit and loss model sooner than later if I want to keep my evaluation alive as a public company or as a private equity owned company. And there is a massive amount of pressure on event directors or whatever you want to call them. Say, hey, guys, move into digital revenue faster than ever. Do it. I don't know how, but you have to do it. And and I keep saying that for a long time, but now everyone is basically executing that. And that's a massive opportunity for your event tech audience. If you're an event tech founder today and you can help the organizer to improve digital monetization and margins, they're gonna listen. It's not because they like you guys geeks, actually they hate you because they don't understand you, but now they need you, uh, which means, that conversation is better than ever, and it's a massive opportunity. Um, I, I believe that changing legacy portfolios of events is super challenging, and it's going to take a while, and some of those assets are probably going to die. But I believe that we're going to see a new generation of events 
that are starting digitally first, um, moving into face-to-face -face later, which are some of the case studies that Denzil mentioned, which are, they were amazing for me. I learned a lot talking with those founders. And, and I believe that we're gonna see more on those sort of things where tech is gonna be a critical role in terms of uh, go-to-market. Yeah, it, it, it strikes me that maybe those that have the biggest opportunity for growth are digital-led publishers, publishers first, who have not really gone down the event route, maybe because of complication, cost, scalability, you know, but all of a sudden they've got an event format or various event formats at their fingertips, which they can leverage their audience and their their existing relationships around advertisers and sponsors and things. And then all of a sudden, let's take a, I don't know, it's an ad publication over here. All of a sudden they've got an ad conference or an ad exhibition and ad awards, blah, blah, blah which they can then scale those into long-term plays and maybe joint venture on a physical event or even exit out of those and sell those off to a larger exhibition organizer or conference organizer because they're looking to acquire that kind of audience as well. And that, that to me strikes me as those that have probably got the easiest transition rather than maybe the exhibition guys and stuff kind of working the other way back in the short term. That's I think, the, yeah, that's every case is going to be different. But in the book, we bring out the concept of what we call community catalyst. And mm. we pretty much say that if you have a scaled event, you should stop thinking you're an event organizer and consider yourself to be a community catalyst. Mm. And, and you're right. You can come at this from different angles and, and publishers have the opportunity to come at this. Uh, the other thing which is very interesting is if you look at trade associations, a, a lot of what they do is also relevant here. So the community catalyst is essentially going to serve that community and they're going to help with education and advocacy. They're going to help with business. They're going to help with connections. Now, those first two are really what associations do a lot of, yep. serving needs of the industry in those ways. And some of those you can make some money and others are actually more of a cost. The event organizers have been more involved really in the uh, connections and commerce. But now that we're in the, the digital world, you can't just do that. So I think the, the real future is going to be very exciting when we see some genuine community catalysts emerging. And they're saying, we're here to serve the industry. And a test I would always have, I'd speak to a CEO of an events organizing group, I'd say, okay, if I was to meet one of your people at a party or something and I said what do you do are they going to say I'm an event organizer or are they going to say oh I'm in the aerospace industry I work mm. in the industry but I organize an event and you know exactly what the answer should be so I think we're going to see quite an, a change and it's going to be spurred by everything that's possible now in the digital arena and a, a, an example that's worth looking at is the National Restaurant Association had a killer show uh, but they entered into an agreement with Winsight, which is private equity backed. And Winsight is a information business and publishing business serving the restaurant industry. And bang, you just bring together two powerhouses. And I, I think it's been very successful for everyone. And I just saw that the other day they launched something called Restaurant Community. <laughs> I thought, wow. Oh, here we go. Just putting all those parts of the jigsaw together. So we're going to see more examples like that. 
Well, it looks like Rachel loves the idea of the community catalyst. Uh, just brought her on on screen. Um, Marco, did you did you want to add something to that? Yeah, I want to I want to go deeper into the partnership that Denzel started with the National Restaurant Association. I think that we cover in the book. Correct me if I'm wrong. Denzel, New Order, and Informa as one mm -hmm. of the digital and offline partnerships, and and I think that every single media company or event organizer or digital player should be honest with themselves and, and think, can we do this alone or do we need to partner with someone else? If we partner, one plus one is going to be two or one plus one is going to be 11, which means the JV is going to enlarge the pie and make something way bigger. As a classic, naive, always optimistic entrepreneur, I'm on the second one saying one plus one should be 11 and partnership should be the way to go. But it's not easy. As, as I said before, when you're running a portfolio of events that is making a ton of money for decades, uh, thinking that you're going to partner it with someone else and potentially split the revenue is not easy. But I think that now it's critical from a strategic perspective to think, do we have the skills, culture, and knowledge to build the digital asset inside a media company or inside an event organizer or inside an association? Honestly, many, many of those answers are no, we don't have that talent, uh, money, skills, culture. We need to partner with someone else. And, and I believe that we're going to see more partnerships and that partnership could trigger M&A and acquisitions um, sooner than later. Uh, as you know, Emerald bought a software company a couple of weeks ago here in US. And I don't think that it's going to be the, the last one, uh, which means I believe that if you're honest with yourself and you analyze your company uh, and culture and skills and opportunity, sooner than later, you have to take that decision. And if you want to build inside a, a trade show company a digital asset, God bless you. Go ahead and do it. But be sure that it's not going to be plug and play and easy. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you want to do the other side, you're a digital guy and want to run face-to-face -face event, God bless you. Go ahead and do it. It's not as easy as it sounds, which means that that conversation is part of the conversation that we want to open as part of the book uh, because I believe that um, as an industry it should help us because if we build a good asset with good and strong value proposition with partnerships the community is going to answer in a positive way if not they're going to walk away and do something else with their time and money that that's just kind of brought a, a thought to my head um and I'm not sure if it's a good idea, but I'm going to put it to you anyway, Marco, because you're in the space of you've been the organizer, you've got investments in event technology companies. Is there an opportunity for an entrepreneurial event platform to be part of that JV, to, to be invested in the event, to scale up with, uh, no, maybe not informers and reads, and that, they're, they're at a different scale, but there, there's going to be a mid-tier of very innovative, very forward-thinking, um, really agile players, especially in the market now because of, you know, changes in job circumstances and redundancies and things like that. Like, is that, would that be totally tragic for an event technology company or could that be a really smart move? Uh, probably both. Um, okay. if, you, if you think from an investor perspective, it could be tragic because you're going to dilute margin, which means mm -hmm. you, as an investor, I want a 90% plus SaaS recurrent, scalable software model. That's what I want as an investor. Um, now, on the other side, um, I can tell you how many conversations I had with event tech founders 
saying these organizers they are stupid they don't get it let me let me run events and and some of them are doing their own experiments the immediate reaction is well they're not so stupid this is not as easy as as, as it sounds the online the offline community connection is not as easy um, mm -hmm. when you're writing code as you know adam it's a different world and you have a different set of realities uh, what i believe is that if i'm an event tech guy i would probably partner with an offline organizer on a software basis on a revenue sharing basis on on something that is simple yeah um, and i will isolate that from my company because honestly if you want to exit and many event tech guys as software guys they want to exit at some point having assets physical assets and events in your pnl is going to complicate the whole thing now yeah. i see SaaS companies software companies doing revenue sharing partnership with offline communities i see that happening um way faster than in the past and and as an investor i'm happy to take a look on that uh but you got to do it clean uh the minute that you mix a software company with a content company or event organizer it's a, it's a difficult story, and, and, and as you know, the market will reward a simple story that is growing fast. And if you start complicating things, it's probably not a good idea. Absolutely, we've got a bunch of questions here. Some from people that I know we can see their their names and faces because they've allowed access to Facebook. Others not. So I'm going to just I'm going to bounce a couple of these to you before we move on to some of my other stuff that I've got here. So the first question that came in was from your research and interviews. What trends are you seeing on how event organizers find the talent that they need to deliver those new events? Is, is there anything that's coming out in the wash that's like, this is a route to get that talent involved? I think the, the first thing is inside the events industry versus outside the events industry. Um, and this is an industry where there has been a lot of recycling of talents, people mm. going from one organizer to another. And again, in the old world, that's worked um, I, I think that it's a, it's a mistake to really think that's the way to go. We, we've already said that a, quite a lot of people in the old world uh, are struggling with the new world. Uh, so when I'm speaking to people and they're saying, I'm thinking of bringing on people, my very first question is always, is that from inside the industry or outside the industry? Uh, so outside the industry, if, if it is an event director, I would just look for anyone with brand management skills. Now, are we going to go and get people from Procter & Gamble or Mars or whatever? Well, maybe, because actually it's a fantastic role uh, and there's a lot of opportunity and events are profitable. So I would set your, your, your sites quite high. Beyond that, obviously we're looking for the, the other digital skill sets and so on. A challenge can be the events industry historically hasn't paid enough. There's um, 30% EBITDA margins have been achieved because the people at the top have been creaming off a lot, but they've actually not been paying a, a lot to those down the bottom. So I, I don't know if it was 10 or 15 years ago that I wrote a little white paper that was called about the media company of the future, and that had events with it and all media. I just made a really simple statement. Fewer people, better paid. That is the future. And we see that's the case in publishing, and I can see that as being the same in events, although events have been run pretty light in, in many cases. So that's a bit of a long answer, but I hope that's hitting no, for you. I think it's some really interesting points. And, and, and interestingly, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's the approach that some of the event technology companies are taking from what I've seen, hiring really, really good talent 
from blue chip names and bringing them into the fold to learn from them. So they're going to scale exponentially well with bringing that experience in from other really big tech companies that we all kind of know the names of. I'm not, I'm not going to throw any out there because I might put people on the spot awkwardly, but that's the way that they're approaching it. And, and, and you're right, I think as event organizers or the industry, the publishing, anybody that organizes events needs to think about those elements and bringing that talent from outside in might be the best best way to go. Yeah, but, but let, me, let me add something on that, Adam. I think that if you're a startup, a tech startup, you have a sexy story to sell to potential talent that is eager to join the category. And, and I'm not saying that it's easy because you, usually you don't have money, you're going to pay low salaries and you're going to bring some equity, which is, you know, hot smoke and nobody knows if someday will be real money. But I think that on the other side, on the big companies, big organizers, agencies, media companies, the story is way more difficult because they are not sexy anymore. Many of them, they're not growing anymore and they will need to rethink their story for talent on a different way. And, and my learning with the book, when we talk with CEOs, when you're talking with them on an honest way, their answer is, I'm struggling with that. It's not mm. easy. It's not easy at all. And, and I think that that's a clear message for the owners of these companies to rethink the story for talent. And also, not only the story, the reality, in terms of, as says, we got to pay more, we got to give them equity, a piece of the game, if they want to attract top talent. And we got to make their work more entrepreneurial. If we tell them what to do, the good talent is not going to join that story. Um, and, and I think that finally we're going to see the big guys rethinking about that story. And, and, and I, think, I think that that is a really, really interesting opportunity for attracting talent, not only to the startup world, to the big incumbents. I guess we'll. I guess we'll have to wait and see. I hope you're right, Mark. I really do. I think. I think it'd be a, a really good thing for the sector if if that approach was taken. Um, another question away from talent and now to I think what is a personal opinion kind of question. Do you think the future is in creating exact imitations of physical traders when building virtual shows? Uh, can I can I take that one? Uh, <laughs> Go for it. No, no one, no. It's like I keep joking. It's like comparing Tinder with real sex. Uh, you know, one thing is the digital experience; the other is the real thing. And I don't think that you can recreate the digital experience with the physical experience. I I, I think that both are different animals, and both should complement and help each other. But trying to replicate this as a face-to-face -face meeting, it's a mistake. Uh, it's, I, I keep saying that you build trust face-to-face, -face, and I honestly believe that. Um, this is great, and we can extract a lot of content and, and added value, but it's a different, again, UI, UX, when you're doing something like this live. And trying to create this digital, you name it, you know, avatars or digital venues or whatever, and thinking that the audience is going to have a similar experience, I, I honestly think that it's a mistake. Um, and, and you are creating false expectations on the audience, and the audience includes exhibitors. Adam, if you said Event Tech Live Digital is going to be the, the same thing than my trade show or conference, your sponsors are going to be thinking on something in particular 
with the, the, the communication with buyers. And you know that it's not easy to do the same on a digital world in comparison with the face-to-face, -face, which means I think that the answer is no. I don't think that that's the, the right opportunity here. But as I said, we're opening the conversation. If someone disagrees, I'm more than happy to listen. If yeah, I was well, to throw a chat, if that... Let, let me add in. Yeah, go for it, Denzel. Um, I, I think that is a product question. And unfortunately, I see this time and time again, and it's a mistake to think about the product first. That the product exists because of a human need. And events exist because humans need to connect, they need to do business, they need to find new products, they need to learn. We know all of those reasons. That's why they exist. So it's then a complete mistake to say, well, we can't meet physically, Let's see if we can replicate it digitally. No, what you do is you say, okay, what were those people trying to achieve? What was really important was learning about new things or sourcing the latest pair of blue jeans or whatever it was. How are we gonna help them do it? So just forget the product. Think about the need of the customer and then say, okay, wow, we've got all these tools. Look at these digital tools. Look at what we can do. And then we can meet on occasions or in smaller groups or whatever. How do we combine all that to do it better so the human need is met? And I'm sorry to be on a bit of a rant, but I just see it time and time again. The same mistake. This, this show is about people bringing strong opinions and challenging ideals. Like, yes, you know, I'm sure there are a few people that are horrified by what you're both saying right now. I'm going to probably write angry emails to you in the morning saying you you have no idea, you old guys in America and Colorado and London, you don't know what you're on about. <laughs> but, you know, as Joe's pointed out, you know, there is a reason for physical events, even with as much technology about, you know, look at Adobe, you know, known for delivering amazing physical summits, bringing their customers and creators and their and their internal staff together. I would challenge you a little bit with maybe not right now, but maybe there is a generation coming that is used to spending most of their time on Bumble and Tinder, and they've come from an environment of um, what's the really big, well-known, let's call of duty or, you know, these online games, Fortnite, that's the one that I was trying to think of. Fortnite, yes. And actually for them, it's natural and actually maybe engaging in a real physical event is is kind of really jarring and not for the, not for their like but then the question is is that ever really a business event anyway is is that the type of business event that you want to you want to put on so but th that's that's the point adam uh, events talking about events as a category is a mistake you have so many different categories inside events uh, that again uh, you can do esports, and and it's an event. But those guys, they will be super happy to jump on a digital experience from a different mm. angle. Or NFL and sports, trade shows is a different animal. Depending on which category. What Joe? I think it was Joe, the person who yeah, said that. That's right. It's absolutely right. I think that Salesforce with Dreamforce, they put a ton of money into a physical event, and they are a software company. Are those guys stupid? No, they're trying to create a different experience for that particular audience. And that experience happens face to face, and they put a ton of money. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. but it's, it's unfair. And we talk with Denzel a lot about this. It's unfair to compare Dreamforce with CES uh, or with any for-profit trade show because Dreamforce it's a corporate event for mm. selling software for a corporation, 
If yeah. they make money or not with the event, it really doesn't matter. It's a marketing investment. If you're running informal read, you have to make money with your shows. It's a, it's it's a it's a different um, business value proposition. And and comparing those two animals, it's unfair. It's completely unfair. I, th I think just to finish that off, then somebody's commented here: should we be re redefining what an event is or what an exhibitor is, especially in a virtual setting, like? Is it right to call it a trade show online? I, I don't think you should call it a trade show online at, at all. Uh, no, you've got it. I think we're going to, you can call it an, an event potentially. Um, but yeah, it's going to come exactly back to the human need and saying, what are you trying to achieve? We're going to give you the platform, the connection, whatever it is. And I think terminology is very difficult at the moment and a lot of words being kicked around because everyone's trying to find their way uh, mm. so i think it it may be that you know the virtual hybrid all these words are going to disappear there still will be events and then they're going to be connections around platforms um and this is a talk show so yeah. this is, this is <laughs> part, part of that it's very interesting like will the term virtual digital will it all just and it'll just be events again I, I think I think that's going to happen it will just naturally happen it's you know look how event technology has changed event tech really actually meant AV and sound maybe over a decade ago and now it's actually a, a, a catch-all term for anything that's got software or, or an element of, of digital engagement attached to it right you use this tip not that that's a problem for me uh, i must admit um i'm really conscious of time and neil mortimer's got a really good question here will events 2.0 i don't know whether he's just coined that term or we, we, we're now using this an, an additional term in the industry become such a powerful customer channel that it will shift digital marketing budget away from other channels or from those channels. I think I think that's this is something I think about often, especially at the moment. Like how will our industry buy into Google and and and, and even publishers and things like that? What what do you guys think? Um, as you know, Adam, one of my obsessions is uh, return of investment measurement for for live events. I'm obsessed with that category forever, um, and and I'm starting to see more and more event tech guys trying to help to fix that problem. Mm. I think that the answer, the way that I will think on the answer to this question is, if your event 2.0 has some sort of digital component as part of that, and you can help your exhibitor or whoever is giving you money to showcase ROI, there is something there that could extract digital marketing budget. Why? Because those digital marketing budget guys, they know exactly the ROI on that investment. And when they go to a trade show or any event, they're usually frustrated to understand where is their investment coming back and how they could measure that or why. Which means I hope that Events 2.0 will pay attention to ROI showcase and tr on a transparent way with their exhibitors because that really matters. And, and the days where you could sell a trade show, sell space and said the audience will come and life will be beautiful, and they will be buying a lot of your stuff, are probably gone for good. Because honestly, we need to compete with digital marketing. And as an industry, if we don't do that on a good and sophisticated way, we're going to lose. Yeah. Mm. I think Neil picked up on events 2.0, which is the same as exhibitions 2.0. That's a, a concept that AMR International has been using as AMR's my company for some time, helping people to think through 
new ways of approaching things and digital is, is a big part of that. Uh, and I think that's a, a great question. I'm going to have to start with some of the bad news. Um, if you're looking at events, you have to defend event budgets because those budgets have been unspent. We know a lot of sponsors and exhibitors rolled over and there are lots of signs that there's going to be continuing face to face. But those budgets were unspent um, in part and other parts they went to digital. So mm. number one, the challenge is to get them back. But then if we do behave in the new world with whether we're going to call it exhibition 2.0, event 2.0, which then has got this community catalyst. I know there's a lot of buzzwords there. If we really behave in that way, then it's up for grabs to get some of these digital marketing budgets. But if we look at the growth globally in spend in digital marketing and you compare it to events, digital was growing faster. It was already doing better within the pie. So I think this is a, a real clarion call just for everyone in the industry to say, actually, let's not just be in our own little bubble and think it was all just fine. And this is the thesis of the book. It wasn't actually fine. If we have this whole new approach, which Neil there is, is referring to events 2.0, yes, this is possible. But there's a lot of work to be done. And it's all about customer value. Marco talked about, are we giving ROI? I'm talking about, are we making our customers happy? Or are we just here sitting here making money and not really thinking about it? It's an interesting one. I, I've come from events from the other side, from a publishing background. And I think one of the stark things that surprised me about events and exhibitions was the time in between engaging with that customer about any any form of revenue, like that that to me was was madness. The, uh, events were just another part of the pie for us as an organisation in order to provide value, ROI, and a way to engage and things like that. And it seems to me that there might have to be a shift the other way, looking more towards publishing and digital advertising, and then locking those those ways and those means directly in and around event products. So I don't know whether even event organiser for the larger scale guys will be the way to describe those because I, it, for me, events will, is just the mechanism and they'll very much kind of leverage out all the other digital ways that they can extract revenue out of their, uh, out of their audience and their, and their sponsors and exhibitors. Yes, I mean, we start the book with a bold statement. It is now a mistake for an event organizer to think that it's an event organizer. Hmm. Uh, and and think, think about revenue and, 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 and growth. If you had the chance to activate your community during the, lo the, the 365 approach, event or events should be just activations on that particular community. But as you know, we learned during the last year that you can activate that community from a digital angle in different ways uh, and add value and monetize. And some people are starting to crack the code on monetization, believe mm -hmm. it or not. You know, in just one year, we're starting to see some membership models, subscriptions, you name it. And, and this is just super early days. And you still have the face-to-face -face because you keep adding value to that specific buyer-seller connection and you can monetize that in a different way. As you know, we talk about uh, leads as a service as part of the book. And the whole idea is if, you're, if you know your industry, your community, you can charge buyers and sellers uh, on a leads as a service model all year long. And you can say to a mm -hmm. sponsor, look, $250,000 and it will give you this space in these physical events and this exposure in, in our digital activations. 
and this X amount of leads. We're starting to see smart people thinking on that model. And retention could be amazing because as you know, churn and retention is not easy on, on trade shows. Um, but if you bring those quality leads and activations and exposure and data from that community, retention could be amazing. And that's where we're gonna see that the analyst, the investor, the private equity, the public markets are gonna say, I don't care if it's events or not events. I really care about retention, growth, margins, yeah. and loyalty from your community. I, I believe that we're gonna see more of those conversations in the future and less about how big is your show. Just just a quick thing on there. We're, we're in the world of event tech, which is all about multiples and exits and things like that. Do you think we'll see a shift from the multiples and the way deals are structured on the event side of the world, more <laughs> in line with, with digital agents, digital companies and technology? Because they'll be able to underline, under, they'll have annual recurring revenue, they'll have subscriptions, they'll have memberships, they'll have all of these really strong foundational revenue models that'll that'll is less like we're gonna that event can't happen next year because of a pandemic well but, but time will tell you're still buying trade shows or events on an ibera multiple you you name it six to 12 15 if you're super super you know successful but it's mm -hmm. an ibera multiple and you still pay software valuations on a trailing revenue multiple. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to go too technical here, but if if you see the latest round from Hopping or Bizabu or companies that your audience knows extremely well, or Grip or others, uh, the investor is going to pay the trailing future revenue multiple. And that's how software works. And I, I do M&A on both sides, on, on trade shows, on events and, and, and software companies. And sometimes I try to explain my events friends the way that we value software companies and they laugh and they think that we are, you know, smoking something illegal when we do those <laughs> valuations. But the reality is that both valuations are in some way logical for those specific products and assets. I believe, answering to your question, that if you're an event owner and you add digital revenue, your asset is going to be significantly more uh, valuable and important. And if you're a software company, keep your software story clean, as I said before, keep it on software margins, scalable, blah, blah, blah. If you want to have a software exit, the minute that you mix both, you're going to create a Frankenstein and the market is going to have a hard time reading what that Frankenstein means. I'm really conscious of time. I know I've only got you guys for an hour, but I am going to throw one final question at you before I ask you where people can buy it and if there a sec is there a second edition coming because I think I know the answers to that. Was there anything you were surprised by that came out of the book? Was there a light bulb moment for you guys or was it all, this is exactly what we expected, this is just really underpinned what we were already thinking? Tencil? Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's a really great question. And I think there were a lot of things that were really interesting. Um, but there was nothing that really, I think, blew our socks off. Mm -hmm. I, I gave the example of the guy who created a TV show. Uh, I think that was, that was really interesting. Uh, so I think there's a lot of, of really interesting detail, but there's nothing that really just staggered us, uh, yeah. I think. Uh, in this, uh, my surprise was to validate how fragile was the previous business model, hmm. and I I knew that because I, I I 
I lived my life because of that business model. And I was always thinking as, a, as an entrepreneur running events, how fragile is the model if something goes wrong? Um, and, and I learned talking with people that now we have a clear validation on, on the, the business model without the community and all the stuff that we discussed before that can interact online all the time, face-to-face, -face, whatever. Without that new business model, the old business model is very fragile. And that's a challenge in so many levels. Um, I was thinking about that. I was surprised to validate that talking with smart people. I, th I think it'd be interesting to see if I put that question to somebody more disconnected from the events industry and re they read that book, what would be their surprise? Because I think we, us three especially, and, and everybody probably watching are so thick in the middle of the events industry. And we've been talking about some of these things for yeah. such a long time. Really probably not surprising how much money is made by this industry that they would never have thought of before. Mm. Uh, that, that is what a lot of outsiders that said, wow, I cannot believe that is so profitable. And then some would say, well, my goodness, that's right for disruption. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. yeah absolutely. absolutely. Guys, to finish off then, two questions to you. Will there be a, another edition? Will there be a part two? Um, I, I don't that's know really how to news, put it. And that's the bad news. So the, the <laughs> is, I, I've written a second edition of a book before, and you have to really write it all over again. And I said that to Marco, we're going to have to do this again because the publisher said they they want they think they want to have a second edition, um, and they said that should be maybe twelve months after the first edition, and okay. it means there's a lot of hard work again, but it should be a lot of fun, and we can see what's moved because things will have changed. Uh, in this pandemic, maybe you should just go through, redact things that were wrong, put comments in the in the in the margins, and then have a few pages glued in at the back, and then that's the second edition. This is how it really is. Twelve months You're later, right. <laughs> job. Yeah, absolutely, yes. And and where can people get hold of a copy from themselves? I've ordered mine from Amazon. Is that the best place to go? Are there other outlets that people can go to? I know you said at the beginning that uh, they'd actually run out in the States. So is there anywhere that people can grab a copy from? Yeah, we, we have a website, Reinventing Live, and, and you can go to the website and, and see the, the different sources for the book, uh, depending in Europe or whatever. Um, it's Amazon or also here in US, for example, I know that they have some stock in Barnes & Noble. Um, but we want to use the Reinventing Life website as a as a source uh, for information and also as a source for future conversation. We want to, if you're an entrepreneur building cool stuff, we want to learn from you. Uh, as as Dancy said, we're gonna refresh case studies and, and and new information, which means use the website as as a as a way to to connect. Awesome, guys! Thank you very much for coming on today. Um, I'm just gonna wrap up now. So. Everybody, that's been Denzel and Marco. If you've liked today's episode, please give it a like, give it a share, go and buy a copy of their book, help support version two, issue three, four, ten. I'm, I can see it coming. This is going to be a yearly thing because the market's moving that quickly at the moment. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next episode.